Okay, this time we're in Genesis 31, 22, 22 to 55. I'll read a paragraph at a time. And in this section, we read of Jacob's covenant with Laban, a covenant. First, Laban catches up to him. They have a dialogue and then the covenant. Verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. And God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. And Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbrel and with lyre, and did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. And now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Lest you would take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Verse 22, Laban is told on the third day because they would typically keep a distance between their livestock and usually a three-day distance. So in this case, they find out, oh, well, they don't go, or Jacob's not going in his normal places, his normal route, and we don't see them. So they hear that he has left. So Laban, he takes up his uh, men, he takes them along, and he catches up to him quite quickly, a seven days journey, quite quickly in seven days. Why was it easier for Laban then for Jacob, because Laban did not take all his livestock, his right. flocks. He just took some men with him, but not all the animals. It would have taken Jacob longer, much longer, but he catches up quickly. He overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. That is, in this region of Gilead in northern Israel, he catches up to him. Um, verse 24, but God prevents before the day before because it says it says in verse 29 the god of your father spoke to me last night which means that day that day or the next day there was a, this conversation between laban and jacob but right before it even though laban was quite upset probably very angry and we don't know what his intentions were, but God intervened. He put a halt to whatever his intentions were with this threat in a dream, verse 24, in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful 
that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. You better not do anything, say anything to him to contravene what my will is for his life. You better not do anything. Um, Also, we notice here, and we'll see it later, that um, once in verse 20, right here in 24, and later we're going to see that Laban is called the Aramean. And that's to anticipate the covenant and the name of the heap of stones and what they call it, because they call it by different names because of their different native tongues, their different languages. That's why here, and also because that was his native place in Aram or in Syria in the north, north of the land of Canaan. All right, then verse 25, and Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. All are there, and the dialogue begins in 26. He confronts Jacob. Why? What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Here, and also in verse 28, did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. Here, Laban is pretending that he cares for his daughters and his grandchildren when he was exploiting the husband and the father of his daughters and grandchildren. He was exploiting them. So if he's exploiting them, he doesn't truly care for his daughters and his grandchildren. So he is pretentious. He's accusing Jacob of deception, but he himself is a deceiver. He himself is a deceiver. And and also in 27, um, that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbrel and with lyre. Well, how can a man who is so greedy and, and, and such an oppressor of Jacob think that it's okay for Jacob to leave because Jacob is a source of income for Laban, right? A major source of income for Laban. So why would Jacob uh, be sent away happily? No, this is similar to Pharaoh and the people of Israel in Egypt. Yep. Why, if they have lots of, uh, of the men of Israel working for, as slaves, working for Pharaoh and the Egyptian government, why would they easily release them? No, they won't easily do that because people by nature are covetous and they like to exploit others. If, if we have power, we exploit those who don't have power. That's the way he was. So here too in 27, he is lying. He would not have sent him away happily with joy, songs, timbrel, and lyre, with, these, uh, with music and with a feast. Presumably, this would happen with a feast. No, he wouldn't have done that. He accuses Jacob of being foolish when he is the fool. What he is, he accuses Jacob of being. Verse 29, we see this separation. The God of your father spoke to me last night. Why did he not say the God? The God, uh, my God, 
or our God. Why did he say the God of your father? Not our God. And he remembers God threatened him, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. God has warned Laban, who doesn't want to practice righteousness. And that warning that God gave to him was enough to stop Laban from doing wrong to Jacob. Sometimes in Scripture, God presents a threat to unbelievers, and it's enough of a threat in some cases to prevent them from practicing evil. If God does that, can we not do that too? Can we not do that? Warn unbelievers that they should not sin, they should not commit crimes, lest they, they meet the judgment of God. That's what he did here. God did to Laban, and Laban restrained himself. Even though he didn't do it from a good heart, he at least did it with a threat that God would punish him if he did wrong to Jacob. Uh, In Genesis chapter 20, God intervened with Abimelech, the Philistine king, Genesis 20, when he was about to marry Sarah, right? He was about to marry her and he put a stop to it. Even though Abimelech was an unbeliever, he says, you are a dead man. And also disease had rampaged Pharaoh's, I mean, uh, Abimelech's household. And so because of the disease and, be, and the closing fast of all the wombs of the household of Abimelech and the threat that Abimelech might die if he took Sarah to be his wife, he stopped it. He said, no, I'm not going to do it, even though he didn't believe. And so likewise here, Laban restrains himself. But then he brings up an accusation. Verse 30. Uh, Why did you steal my gods? Why did you steal my gods? He accuses Jacob of it, but we know in verse 32, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. He didn't know. In 31, Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, lest you would take your daughters from me by force. Right. Right. He might have done that. He might have taken them by force. We also notice that he said, you would take your daughters. Plural. But Jacob loved Rachel. But at this point, by this point, he's showing love for Leah too. Though he didn't want to marry her, he's showing love in this way and protecting her also. Taking her With him. Verse 32. The one with whom you find your God shall not live in the presence of our kinsmen. Point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. Jacob has a clear conscience and he offers this threat of death if the idols are found anywhere. Because he has a clear conscience, he knows he hasn't done anything wrong. So go ahead, do what you need to do. 33 to 35. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. 
Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. In 33, we're reminded that each of these adults had their own, own tent. We, we saw this in Genesis twenty-four sixty-seven, Sarah's tent, it's called. And then here we have Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, and Rachel's tent. They did not, day by day, live in the same tent. And further, 34 to 35, Rachel put them in the uh, camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban is going diligently everywhere. This is how much he wants his household idols. He goes hundreds of miles, not only for the money to confront Jacob for his loss of money, but he also travels to recover his idols. Jacob was there 20 years. And yet he's still worshiping idols or wants these idols. He can't let go of them. Isn't an idol an empty an empty object, a vain object, a coal and dead object? Why would he want them? Well, Rachel has this um, statement here in 35. Um, she says, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you. He, she calls her father, my Lord. A respectful address to her own father. Isn't that something we need to recover? The way children call their parents, the way wives call their husbands, the way we talk to one another whenever we're going about here and there, whether in church or in culture, in our workplace, school, we need to recover greater respect for authority. Well, then she says that the manner of women is upon her, meaning... She's experiencing her menstruation cycle each month, and therefore, she can't get up. Now, we might say, well, today women, they do get up. But I think there might be something more to it in accordance with Leviticus 15. Leviticus 15, 19. Leviticus 15, 19. What is said briefly in Genesis has an explanation in Leviticus fifteen nineteen to 24. When a woman has a discharge, if her discharge in her body is blood, she shall continue in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything also on which she lies during her menstruation Uh, impurity shall be unclean and everything on which she sits shall be unclean and anyone who touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening and whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash 
his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening, whether it be on the bed or on the thing on which she is sitting. When he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if a man actually lies with her so that her menstrual impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Perhaps to avoid ritual uncleanness, as it says, especially in verse 22, whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and, be, and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He probably didn't want to deal with this requirement and the hassle of the requirement and to just avoid that and move on, not suspecting that Rachel would have stolen them and put them in the camel's saddle. We also have to address, why did Rachel steal them? Why did she steal them? Did she steal them because she wanted to worship them or she was accustomed to worshiping them? Well, if she were stealing them to worship them, then why would she sit on them? Because that would be disrespectful to the idol. That would be sacrilegious to an idol to sit on the idol. That's one. Number two, she's sitting on the idol either actually or presumably during her menstrual impurity, which would be even a greater sacrilege to sit on an idol like that, right? So why would she do it like that? Perhaps she is doing it to, in some way to get Laban to quit worshiping idols or for him to realize that the idol is nothing. Maybe it's for that reason. But I don't know if we can clearly say, I doubt that we can clearly say, she worshiped idols, therefore she stole the idols because she trusted in the idols. Earlier we saw that she and Leah trusted the word of God that Jacob spoke to them. And they believed that it was God, not their idols, that took away the wealth of Laban and gave it to Jacob. And, and elsewhere, remember we saw in chapter 30 how they call upon the Lord, they mention the Lord. Look at uh, 30, 30, 22, 30, Verses 22 to 24. Then God remembered Rachel and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she named him Joseph saying, may the Lord give me another son. Verse 22 implies that Rachel is praying to God. God remembered Rachel, which is the language of answer to prayer. God remembered Rachel. And then verse 24, she says, May the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh or Jehovah, may the Lord give me another son. She trusts that he is her provider. So in the same way, it's unlikely that she's worshiping idols. There's some other reason for that, such as trying to take it away from Laban and to show him that the idols are worthless they won't answer his prayers. 36, Genesis 31, 36. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Jacob. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, 
What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. By day the heat consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. Verse 36, Jacob has righteous indignation. I don't think this is unrighteous. I think it's righteous indignation in verse 36. Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. The matter was investigated. They found nothing. And now Jacob rightfully confronts Laban for his wrong. There was no need for him to hotly in the heat of anger, to pursue Jacob. And Jacob says, what is my transgression? What is my sin? Ultimately, that is the source of conflict, right? Right. But if the accuser cannot identify the sin, what should the accuser do? Shut up and go home. home. Yeah, that's right. He should keep quiet. He should not be accusing falsely because if he starts accusing falsely, he is the slanderer. And then the innocent party can and should expect justice. That's what Jacob is talking about. Um, Nothing was found, verse 37, in the presence of witnesses on both sides. Nothing was found. Then Jacob says that in verse 38, that he served for um, 20 years. 20 years, which he repeats in verse 41. 20 years... Um, Laban's ewes and female goats have not miscarried. Which means it's God working. And then he did not eat the rams of Laban's flocks. He ate his own food, not Laban's. 39, that which was torn of beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. In this regard, let's turn to Exodus 22. Exodus 22:10. Exodus 22:10 to 13. 22:10. If a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him, and it dies or is hurt or is driven away while no one is looking, an oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them. 
that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is actually stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is all torn to pieces, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn to pieces. We have prescriptions there on what to do. And Jacob is saying here that he bore the loss of everything, whether it was um, torn by beasts or stolen or whatever, he bore the loss of it. Not only did he bear the loss of everything, verse 40, thus I was by day the heat consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. By the way, at this point, he's probably at least 90 years old, maybe 97 years old, Jacob is. And he's still working as a 90-year-old man. He's still working in the daytime, in the heat of the day, and in the cold of the night. Heat of the day and cold of the night. night. And why would he be working at night too? Well, because the flocks belong to him and thieves... And wild animals might seize the flocks. So he has to protect them. Or he at least has to be the main supervisor of his, right. uh, of his shepherds and his guards because just to make sure they're not sleeping on the job, right? No, Things no. like that. He needs to be aware of what's happening under his authority. And he's saying, I work diligently like this. And then 41, I served... 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock and you changed my wages. You cheated me, though I worked hard and received in time what I deserved. It was God. You were manipulating me, but God was overseeing everything. And then he says in 42, God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands. So he rendered judgment last night. You would have sent me away as a pauper. You might have even taken your two daughters away from me and maybe even their children. You might have taken everything away from me. I came empty-handed from Canaan to you 20 years ago and you have um, so little humanity in you that you would have sent me away like that. But God did not allow that to happen. Right in terms of prosperity, and God rendered judgment last night. Laban, you told me last night God spoke to you in a dream, and God told you in that dream, you better not touch Jacob. Don't say a word to Jacob. And so God was on Jacob's side. Laban knew it also. 43. 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? So now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it Yagar 
Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galaed. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it was named Galaed. And Mizpah, for he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from the other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm. And you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. In 43, um, he is owning his daughters and the children. He's owning all of them in a sense that he's saying they are mine. Um, but now I am helpless to take them away from you. Really, that's not the case. They're not his right. in the proper sense. Of course, they are his daughters and grandchildren, but he doesn't mean it like that. He really is saying, now I have to resort to settling a deal with you, making a treaty or covenant with you. That's what I have to do. So now I'm ready to do it. Because he still has this concern that God might punish him if he transgresses that dream that he had last night. Okay, so they both agree to make a covenant. A sign of the covenant or a symbol of this covenant is the stone set up as a pillar and then the heap of stones set up as a heap in order to re remind themselves if they cross that path from the north coming south or from the south going north, that this is a memorial, a place to remember this agreement or treaty or covenant that they have made. Now, they call it different names, verse 47, because in 47, Laban, his native language, native tongue is Aramaic. So he gives it an Aramaic name, meaning um, heap of witness, heap of witness or heap of testimony. This heap of rocks is a witness or a testimony to the covenant we are making. And Jacob calls it by a Hebrew name, meaning the same thing, a heap of witness, um, because Jacob's native tongue was Hebrew. These two languages are related, but they are not the same. And they are distinct enough that you have to learn the other you just can't follow along and be able to understand everything. You have to actually learn um, both of them to be able to communicate. And apparently, they knew some of one another's language languages to be able to communicate, but then they give it their own names here. 
unique names here so that those coming from the north can identify it from the northern Aramaic language and those coming from the south going north, the Hebrew language, which they would have known better than Aramaic, um, they know it as they travel north. By the way, there are a few words in the Old and New Testaments in the Aramaic language. And when I say Aramaic, I do not mean Arabic. Arabic is different from Aramaic. Arabic is more common, much more common today than Aramaic. Only a few hundred people speak Aramaic today. Um, but Arabic is more common. The Old Testament has um, a few chapters in the books of Ezra and Daniel written in the Aramaic language. Not all of the book of Ezra, not all of the book of Daniel, but a few chapters in those books are written in Aramaic and the rest in Hebrew. And of course, the rest of the Old Testament is in the Hebrew language. Verse 40, 48. So Laban confirms these names. Uh, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. And a further name is given in verse 49. Um, this name, Mitzvah. Mitzvah means watchtower, a watchtower. And he says, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. Now, he does this, Laban is saying this because he wants to put the threat on Jacob as though Jacob, he is the culprit and he is a criminal and he is susceptible to transgressing the covenant. So Jacob would be more fearful if he calls on the name of the Lord, if Laban does it to threaten Jacob. Because it, it is, as we read 48 to 49, it's Laban using the name of the Lord here. Right. Not because he is a believer, but because he is threatening Jacob. If he transgresses, then God will curse Jacob. And also verse 50, if you mistreat my daughters... Or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. As though he has concern for his daughters. He doesn't really, but he's pretending to do so. He's taking the name of the Lord in vain. The third commandment, Exodus 20, verse 7, which is common. It's common for many people inside and outside of Christianity to take the name of the Lord in in vain. 51. Um, 51 to 52. He clarifies that when they pass by it, that they uh, won't do any evil, have any evil intentions when they do so. Verse 53. Verse 53. Laban further is speaking. In 53, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. This God of Abraham, God of Nahor, the God of their father. Abraham and Nahor were brothers. And then it seems in 53, Laban is saying the God of their father. Who was their father? Terah. Terah was their father. 
father, father of Abraham and Nahor. And it seems here that Laban is acknowledging that Terah, Abraham, and Nahor worship the same God. Worship the same God. If in your Bible you have a capital G for God, when it says God of Nahor, and most likely, most translations do have a capital G, English translations do have a capital G, then that means the translators believe the capital G is coinciding, harmonizing with the God of Abraham and the God of their father. The same God is the reference here, okay? Which means the true God. Just as he called on the true God in verse 49, Laban is also calling on the true God in verse 53. And this phraseology partially is found in verse 42, the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. Speaking of one God, believed and worshipped by Abraham and Isaac. Here, Abraham, Nahor, and Terah, he calls on them to judge. Then it says, So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Isaac worshipped the same God as Abraham, right? So even Jacob here is confirming the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father. This is how I understand it. This is how I read it. If you, are to, if you were to consult commentators on this verse, for whatever reason, I could not find a single commentator who said what I just said. They think that because Laban is a pagan, that Jacob is not agreeing with Laban. He is just swearing by the God of his father Isaac, the fear of his father Isaac. Laban is referring to pagan gods and referring to Nahor, especially Nahor, as worshiping a foreign god, a pagan idolatrous god. On the one hand, the commentators say that, but on the other hand, the translations do not say that. So they have the translation in front of them, but then the commentators are not reflecting on the translators. They're just reflecting on what they think is happening with Laban and Jacob. I think Laban is calling on the true God because that is the, the living God and especially the God that Jacob worships. So he's trying to threaten Jacob as though Jacob is a, a cruel man and a mean man when actually he is. So that's the reason he has or the motive he has in doing so. But Jacob... He's doing it in sincerity and truth, even though Laban isn't. You understand the, the significance of what I'm saying here? Okay, so then, 54 to 55. After these words, then now some actions that show that they are in agreement with this covenant. Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. 
It is typical of covenants to to confirm the covenant and that there is going to be peace between the parties of the covenant to share a meal together in order to confirm to one another that they are, in fact, at peace with each other. At least at the moment of making the covenant, they are at peace with each other, and that's what their intentions are in the future. And how else to express that peace? By eating food together. Here, too, in 54, it begins by saying he offered a sacrifice. So if Jacob offered a sacrifice, he offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and the food of that sacrifice, the meat of that sacrifice, was used for the meal. Um, 55, And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Early in the morning, of course, it's not good to start a journey at night, but early in the morning, Laban, he, he diligently gets up and he says farewell to his family and he, and he goes away in peace without causing any trouble. And we don't hear of him causing trouble or interaction with him after this. This is the end of it. So God intervened to help Jacob leave Laban. He was in a dilemma, but God's promises were fulfilled in Jacob, and he gave him the, the courage to do it, he gave him the words to do it, and he gave him protection. God protected him all the while doing the will of God. Jacob believed the word of God. Let's do the same. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.